seated. Uh, so uh, my buddy and I, we were, um, we were down in, uh, I don't know, this was before I was married, we decided we'd just go down to, uh, to actually go to spring baseball down in, uh, in Phoenix is where we went um, here years ago. Uh, and so we, we go down there, and we're also going to a hockey game because I love hockey, and I hadn't been to that arena and wanted to go see the Phoenix Coyotes. They're now the Arizona Coyotes, I think. They're awful. Uh, they're so bad. They're, uh, they're on a streak now, but they're awful, and it doesn't matter. No one cares about hockey. Um, so we were going to this arena because I care about hockey. Uh, and so and we have no idea where this thing is. It's in Scottsdale. It's not actually in Phoenix, so why they call it Phoenix Coyotes? I don't get the whole thing. Um, so, uh, so we don't know where this thing is, but he's, you know, we've rented a... Uh, uh, we've rented a car, and he's got the, the GPS or whatever, and this was like early on in GPS, and I thought this was like, I mean, obviously, every, it, it was like the Jetsons, it was incredible. Um, and so, so, so my buddy, he gets in the car, and I've, I've seen, you know, GPS, and I've, I've tried GPS, I haven't quite figured this thing out, and, and I'm always, you know, just stuck in the GPS, kind of like, uh, what is it, Michael Scott and Dwight Schrute, you know, when they, when they get the GPS, and they end up just like staring at the GPS and driving into the lake. Um, so that's how I would do that, uh, or I would just look up and throw the GPS away and just drive around and be like, I will see the arena eventually, not knowing it's in another city. Uh, but my buddy, he like did this cyborg move, and he like, like just, it was amazing. He's like watching for the direction. He puts the destination down, and he's going to drive, but then he's just like driving around, and it's like giving him a prompt here or there, and, uh, and he just keeps going, and I'm just like sitting there amazed. I mean, obviously, this was, you know, like a decade or so ago. Uh, I'm just like, how are you doing this? Like, you're actually interacting with this appropriately. Like, I've never seen someone like balance looking at the screen and looking at the road and not getting around. Like, it was amazing. He had no idea where we were going, but you thought that he'd been there a million times because you just balanced this so incredibly well. Well, that kind of gets to what we're talking about here. Um, he, he said, uh, he said uh, just like Paul is saying to us here in, in our spiritual life, he's, he, my buddy's showing that he knows where the destination is. We're going to the, uh, uh, we're going to the, the arena. Uh, it was jobbing.com arena at the time. Um, and, uh, and so we were going there, and, uh, but he didn't know how to get there, so he just knew, just keep on going, just keep pressing on. And, uh, and that's what Paul is telling us here, this, this journey that's there, this, this idea that's there, is that he says, we're, gonna, we're putting a stake in the ground here. There, there is a destination that we're all traveling to. There, there really is that. Um, and he's going to name it. We'll talk about that a bit. And he says, but I'm not quite sure what this is, so we need to press on. You need to keep moving. We're not there yet. The destination is going. We're not quite there yet. So press on. That's what he, uh, that's what he says. That's, that's the big thing here. Uh, but what's helpful is not just saying keep on going. He gives us a little bit of framework for this. Um, so I'm going to just kind of frame this up here in three, uh, three small, catchy points here, is that as we press on, we need to look up, we need to look around, and we need to look ahead. This is a lot of what my uh, wonderful friend Eric uh, did so well, but uh, this is what we do in our journey as well. So look up. This will be verses 12 through 16. If, uh, if I can, I'll flip the order around because he kind of makes his points in really long sentences, so I just kind of want to make it very clear. If we flip the order around here, what Paul is saying, uh, the meat of what he's saying is in verse 15. Uh, Paul's point in these, these first verses is, let those of us who are mature think this way. So that's one of the things he says. That's, that's really what's there in this, this idea of, of looking up. Let those of us who are mature think this way. So I'm going to ask two questions. What does it mean to think this way? What is the way that he's saying to think? Now, if we're good readers, we've been reading through the book of Philippians, we know that he's already told us, think this way, have a unified mind. Uh, this is the beginning of chapter 2. He says, think this way, that the unity of the Spirit, this, this idea of who Christ is, have the humility, have this mind among yourselves that is yours in Christ Jesus, have this humility. That's, that's chapter 2 right there. And so he's, he's kind of winning us to this idea of this humility, have this mind about yourself, um, 
But he also kind of, kind of develops this a, a little bit more. He says, thinking this way is aligning our minds to the reality that righteousness, or rather a right standing with God, that's what righteousness is, cannot be achieved on our own merits. This is the first half of chapter 3. So we just got done with this part of the chapter. That's what he could start off with. Not that I've already obtained this. What? Not that I've already obtained this righteousness by my own works, or that I've obtained this, this, this perfection, this completedness. Not that I've done that, but Christ has achieved that for me, so I need to press on and continue somewhere else. So think this way. Think that you have not achieved righteousness yet. Now, you may be saved, you may be a Christian, but think that you haven't arrived. It's not time to, you're not there, you're not at the hockey arena yet. You're, you're not at the destination quite yet. You're still on the journey. When you become a Christian, it just sets the destination. I mean, yes, you are given righteousness through faith in Christ. It's not by your works, so that no man can boast. But that doesn't mean that it's done. The end goal is not just be saved and then we just wait. The end goal is, is, is to be saved and then continue on in Christ's likeness here. He said that you will never be good enough. You will never be holy enough without Christ. And I think at this point, this is what a gift confession is, that it conditions our hearts to gospel humility, that we continually remind ourselves, not there quite yet, not there quite yet, not there quite yet. There is a day when we will be transformed into these glorious bodies, just as Christ is. But until that day, we remember, press on and look up. And he says, he says so these are the mature that think this way. And so he kind of pulls them, pulls them aside, the mature that think this way. He's not saying that, that all of us are here. He's kind of making the line here. And, and I think the good gospel does this. It draws a line. It says, not all of us are mature. There are some of us who are mature. And I'd even put another line here and say, not all of us are saved. So if you're reading this today, I, I really, like, what you need to be thinking is, do I even know who Christ is? But he's speaking to people who he assumes are Christ, or are Christians who believe this, and now he's saying there are some of you who are mature, some of us who are mature, and we should think this way. And he says the mature mind thinks this way, and this way is a way that says uh, that my righteousness is not my own. This, this mature mind thinks in a way that says I'm not quite there yet. Even though I have salvation, I need to continually work it out with fear and trembling. That's Philippians as well. So why should we look up? It's because we are able to continue thinking this way, this high way, only when we look up. I want to be clear. To look up means to ongoingly consider the salvation made possible by Christ through faith in Christ, which is then confirmed by the Holy Spirit. I think this is, uh, this is something that, that Paul says uh, very clearly. He just says that you, uh, that you have no confidence in the flesh, but that your righteousness is through faith in Christ. That's that's what this looking up is, is to remember that always. Maybe you just got fired from your job, but your righteousness is from Christ. Maybe your kids are, are a little unwieldy right now, and you don't quite know how to parent them super well, and you're feeling a little, little hopeless in this one. But Christ is your righteousness. Maybe, maybe you aren't as rich or hitting those financial markers that you thought you would, but Christ is your righteousness. Maybe you don't quite understand what the Bible means when you read it, even though you do believe you're a sinner and Christ has paid for your sin, and you kind of feel like, oh, maybe good Christians are supposed to like read this and say, wow, that's amazing. This is, let me tell you, nine, nine things that I just read out of this one verse. And maybe you're not there, but that's not your righteousness. Christ is your righteousness. Now, some of these things are really good things to, to pursue, but Christ 
is your righteousness. That's why we need to look up. So as we press on, we'll be tempted to go one of those two ways we talked about earlier. The way of the scoffer, the way of the wicked, we'll be tempted to turn into ourself if we're not looking up, thinking of this mind. So why do we look up? Because it's the only way that we can have this mind, but also it's because that's where lies our prize. That's what the text says here. Verse, verse 14 says this way. It says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is the prize toward which we ought to press on? This is a, a big question. If I'm told, press on to the prize, I want to know what the prize is. So what is that prize? The upward call of God. In Ephesians, Paul develops this. Paul writes another letter to the church in Ephesus. What we're reading now is a letter to the church in Philippi. But he writes to the Ephesians. In in, in Ephesians 1.18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. So there's some of the upward calling. The hope of his calling. Uh, I think we have this on the screen. Uh, Ephesians 4.1. Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Keep that up there. Uh, he says, the calling to which you have been called. What is this? Walk in a, in a manner worthy of the calling. Now you could tell that the Holy Spirit was writing this letter through Paul because he uses very similar language in Philippians here. I think back in chapter 1, maybe verse 27, he says something, uh, he says something very similar. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This very similar language. So what do we make of this calling? See, I'm, I'm kind of working you through the work that we need to do as we read the Bible here. Uh, so we get this upward calling. So we find out that Paul elsewhere says there's this, this hope in this calling. Well, that's, that's good. He says that there's, that there's this, this walking in a manner worthy of this calling. And then here in Philippians, he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. You see, I, I, I've always imagined that the prize that I was pursuing was the finish line. And, and I think some of that language is there But I think part of what he's saying when we put all these together is that the prize is the work itself, that there is something wonderful in that journey toward Christ-likeness. That as we labor for it, we long for it. As we labor for it, we actually get better, or we may get better with God's help, but we also know, oh, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm miles beyond where I used to be, and I'm still not there. I mean, that's, that's, that's the joy. That's the beauty of confession. It's not a, a, a reminder that oh, the system is broken and we just need to pray on a bunch of people who feel guilty that they sin. It's a reminder that we're not there. Christ is that big and that glorious and that wonderful that we can't ever achieve it. Your righteousness is not your own. Your salvation did not come from what you did. It's through faith in Christ. He died for your sins. But you're not there yet now because because though he sees you that way, keep pursuing the goal. You're not at the destination which is to be transformed into the, the gloriousness of Christ. So keep going. And so there goes our journey. So what is this prize? This prize is this way 
of Christ, this way of ongoing sanctification, what Paul calls the working out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's part of what that goal is. Ultimately, it's to be completed. Ultimately, it's to be one for one, very similar to the virtues of Christ. But the prize right now to continue to press on is to look up to see that that is the prize. That is the goal. The destination is set. And it can't be met by works or, as Paul says, or by confidence in the flesh. As at the end of uh, verse 14, it says, the journey of complete maturity can only take place, and the words that it has there at the very end of that verse is, in Christ Jesus. Because in Christ Jesus, as we look up, it means that, other wording that's in here, is forgetting what lies behind. I think sometimes we have this, uh, I personally have this, uh, and it's something I'm really working on uh, uh, right now specifically, is this idea that I, I, you know, this battling sin and just being like, I hate that I do this all the time. Uh, and I, I just keep doing this and doing this. And, and I find that in my own struggle with, with trying to root out sin, uh, I mean, two things happen. One is I try to do it alone, you know, and that's never ever going to work. Uh, but two is that I always look back and be like, oh, I can't believe I did that. Oh, I don't want to be that way. I want to be better than this. I can't believe this. What does he say here? The way to pursue this is forget what lies behind. To remember that Christ has forgiven that. And we're not just trying to dig out of the hole that we're in. Christ pulled you out of that hole. He set you a destination and said, get a moving. And so I think that's something that we need to hear sometimes because we, 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 we carry that guilt unnecessarily. And when we carry that guilt looking behind at, at what's, what's in the past, at what sin was there, how awful we used to be, two things happen. We think that we were just an idiot back then when we were a real person that made sins. And so then we think that only dumb people make sins. So that's something that happens. Uh, but then we also don't believe that Christ actually is sufficient for forgiving that sin because we're carrying the guilt that he already has taken away or should have. And then we're just sitting there looking back here when the game's over this way and we should be going that way. And so those are some things that we do. So he says all of these things right here. Your destination is set. So quit looking at what you were just doing. Get moving ahead in your life in your pursuit of Christ-likeness. Strain ahead towards that prize. And I think that's, a, that's, that's something. Maybe I'll, I'll stop on this, and then, and then we'll keep moving. We'll go a lot faster here. Uh, it's that idea that he says, you're not looking behind, but you're straining forward to what lies ahead. I, I liken this to um, uh, an incomplete pass, or pass interference. We'll go with that. Pass interference. In American football, pass interference is when someone cheats. Uh, basically. And so we have a destination. We have a spiritual journey. We have an end goal, a good end goal. But we have an adversary. We have someone who's against us. He's a cheater. And what happens is it's though, it's though Paul's saying, you know, reach out for that, you know, for that, for that pass, the one hand, because I'm amazing at that. I'm not. Uh, you get that big pass, and the, the football's out there. Strain for the prize. Strain. Go for it. Go for it. But you can't actually get it if you got a dirty cheater pulling you behind back there. So you get the, you know, the pass interference play. What happens? How do, we, how do we go for that price? How do we actually get that? How do we go and strain for the goal that's there? Well, sometimes you got to stop dancing at the line of scrimmage. <laughs> sometimes you got to stop just sizing them up and, okay, here we go, here we go. Just go for it. You got to resist the devil and he will flee. Push him off. Get rid of him. Name him. Say, I'm not letting you do this. Go and go for it. That's what he's saying here. He's very passionate about this. He's saying, stop sitting here in your sin thinking about this 
Get off the line of scrimmage. You have a route. Go run it. Go catch the ball. Go strain for the prize. So hopefully that's motivated us here uh, enough to press on. Press on. And as you do, look up. As we press on toward the goal, we press on and we look up to our goal that is the journey towards Christ-likeness. We look up with gratitude that we are not simply sinners in need of a Savior, but that we are forgiven sinners with a Savior. We can look up with gratitude. Uh, we can, we, as we press on, we don't just look up, but we also recognize that we have been placed in creation with each other. So as we press on, then our text moves to this idea that we need to also look around. Look up and look around. Verse, verse 17. It says, brothers and sisters, the word there is for brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. So Paul has this habit of making up words, and he's really good at it. He's a wordsmith. Um, but he does this, he makes up these words in the best way. Uh, usually when he makes them up, he's trying to get across this point of this, this connectedness that believers have with one another in Christ. Uh, so when Paul says, join in, uh, join in imitating me, Join in imitating. This, this word here is this combination of this word together and this word uh, imitate. And so he's like smashing this all together. And so he's basically saying like my fellow brothers and sisters, my fellow siblings in Christ, together imitate with me. And, and, and he's bringing it together because it just gets, it gets kind of crazy because then he goes on together imitate with me. And then who are we imitating? Us. It, I mean, it's just like, there's a lot there. I would encourage you maybe sometime this week, just look at verse 17 and prayerfully, you know, meditate on it, pray, pray, for, pray, pray over it, think about it. There is so much richness in that one verse, verse 17, uh, because of the way he writes confusing language there. He means something huge there. I'm going to kind of speed ahead and say what I kind of observe in what he's saying there. When he makes up this word here, this, this together imitating, uh, uh, imitating me, I think what Paul's teaching us is that growth in the mentoring relationship is reciprocal. It's just this, this big tornado of, of, of giving to one another and, and somehow it gets bigger and better. Paul understands that mentoring or maybe providing an intentional relational example. So mentoring is not only a one way pouring out of ourselves. It's, it's a messier and more connected, uh, more togethery, a more real life hands-on than simply our imparting knowledge from a teacher to a student. There is also a, uh, a great deal of learning that he understands that takes place in the heart and the mind, the soul of the mentor as he coaches and he counsels. There's something reciprocal in this relationship. This is what he calls the koinonia, that thick fellowship of, of believers that, that, are, that are together in Christ. And so what he does here, I love, is that he could, you could read these first verses and say, oh, he's just saying that there, there are a few of us that are, that are awesome and mature, and now everybody else just try to be like that. Just try to be good. He is kind of saying that, but what he does here when he says, uh, when he says to, to together imitate us as we do this and this, this mixing it up reciprocal relationship is he's kind of taking those minds that we are to aspire to and he's saying, and, and those are in the seats with you. It's not so much that we're just gonna look at them and parade them around. They're there with you. They're living life with you. And then just me as a pastor, you know, as I look out, I'm like looking at all of you, I can say they are there with you. Uh, th those kind of minds that we would aspire to that are here in the text are there sitting with you today. Like, and that, and this, hopefully I'm saying in reality they are there with you. Find them, uh, discern who they are, and imitate them. Join in imitating me. Join in imitating them 
Why? Because they're awesome? No. Because they exemplify Christ. Because they are pointing to the way Christ would work through a situation in real life. They would work through uh, with with godly principles, with Christ-like ways, uh, how to learn, how to show respect, how uh, how to love appropriately in any kind of relationship how to, uh, how to uh, worship, how to understand God, how to interpret the Bible. These are things that we do, and it's not a coincidence that he calls the people that are in our midst and the people that, that, that are mature, that, that aren't as mature. It's not a coincidence he calls that the body of Christ, not just a bunch of people, because we are to learn in this togetherness as the body, and not just as a body of Parkview, as a body of Christ, because that is how we learn more of who Christ is. That's how we, in real life ways, get out of the academic books and we get into the ground, we sit at the coffee table and we say, yeah, so this is my situation this week. And we talk with someone who has done a godly, uh, has gone through it with godly wisdom, has experienced this uh, with godly wisdom. Uh, One example of this, um, I just talked to uh, I just had a conversation. A couple of you, couple of you in here. Sorry, I didn't ask for any permission. Please punch me or make me stop. Um, I won't use your names. Uh, the names are Bill and Jane. You know, I just made up names there. So uh, last week, I uh, had a conversation with a couple of people, and, and one of these people comes up to me. And they said, um, they basically said, "Okay, so one of my relatives is like impossible to work with, uh, but is like so far off in the weeds. Uh, just this, it doesn't get anything. Just dabbling in really dangerous stuff." And, uh, and just super taxing. I want to give up. And it was amazing that this other, this other mature, mature Christian, and I'm, I myself, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm like all-encompassingly mature, but I said, I, I've gone down this path with you. Like, I have a family member who is impossible to work with and I want to give up on. And I'm just a little bit further down the road. I'm not wildly mature. I'm just a little bit further down, meaning I'm a little more mature than you in this. And I've battled with this as well. How do you relate to your family members when you want to give up on them? And so we talked through this, and at the end, you know, I kind of had to pull the Jesus juke card and say, where would you be if Jesus gave up on you the way you want to give up here? Uh, that's no fun. And it's a real thing. And we all just kind of did like, oh, okay, we know what the answer is now. And so we kind of worked through some of this stuff. That's a real-life example. That's, you know, seven days old. You know, that's, that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal how that, how that works. Um, but it took some people who could be outside, the, outside of it, looking at it, making sure that we could press on. That was what, what we said, press on. So they said, I, I think I, I, I got to go help. This isn't going to be fun, but I got to go help. But we could say, here's the reason why you help. It's not just to stick it out. It's for Christ. You, know, you may be the last voice of Christ in this person's life. It sounds like they're about done with all that and they really respect you. Lean into that for the cause of Christ wherever it goes. Man, that's a tough one to say, but it's easier to say when you say, I'm a little bit further down the way. Yeah, it's going to be rough. (laughs) It's not going to be fun. You're going to be screaming. You're going to be screaming in your car. You're going to be crying at night. This is going to be seemingly impossible, but it's the work, the destination set. Get on. And go for it. And that's a good thing to do. So I wanted to really spend a bunch of time on that, uh, developing that why we need to look around and look into each other uh, and, and see that example of Christ in each other because that's the really good thing that we should motivate to. It's really nice uh, and, and uh, uh, that, that Paul gives us a little bit more, kind of fleshes that out a little bit more here because he says it's not simply just go for it, go for the good. He said there's some real danger if you don't go for that. Let's read on. Verse 18 and 19. 
He says that there are some people, though, who haven't gone this way, who didn't have these examples, and they have deserted the right way without a proper guide. So uh, verses 18 and 19, I'm actually going to reconstruct it just to make it sound differently, because you can read the words right there. He says, with minds set on earthly things, many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. You see how you kind of reconstruct that there? With minds set on earthly things, many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So their walking isn't just that they're, you know, walking and eh, the cross. What is their walking composed of? It's their minds set on earthly things. So as they press on, they've not looked around and had help. And what should have been looking up is looking down at earthly things. We need each other to remind each other, don't turn in on yourself. Don't look down. Don't look for the ways of, of, of sin. Don't look for the ways of the devil. Uh, maybe just say it really nicely. Don't look for the ways of the flesh. Maybe say it less Christian-y. Uh, uh, don't just do what's easy. <laughs> Usually easy isn't, isn't the greatest you know, option there. Don't just do what, 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 what uh, you're impossible. Go away. That's easy. That's really easy. And then turn on the TV and then you're entertained. You know what? Think about it. That's a really easy way to do that. We need each other so that we continue to look up to Christ. We need the body of Christ to look up at the goal of Christ. And what, is, what does he say then? Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. They're just looking down. They're just looking for the easy stuff there. They're doing what feels good. And what is their end? Destruction. When we pray the prayer of confession, we say for the things done and left undone, this is one of those left undone things. If we don't speak Christ to people, we leave the gospel undone. We should be motivated to speak. Not because I'm a Christian and my pastor just yelled at me on Sunday to go and do that, but because this is the best news. This is the only way to heal this. Otherwise, we're just band-aiding symptoms. Give them the cure. It's Christ. They're not, they're not just talking endlessly at work because they like to talk endlessly at work. They need someone to hear them. They need someone to be with them in the journey. Christ can be that, and you can be that voice of Christ there. They may be coming in and trying to get more prescriptions or more, uh, uh, more drugs, more, more diagnosis, more whatever it is to just say your body's broken and you need this. Or maybe they need Christ. Maybe they need to just be heard. I was reading an author here, uh, Henry Nouwen. He's fantastic. Uh, and one of the things he says is, is one of the ways that we can bring Christ to people is just, just to let them know that, like, and let them really know and feel, I will be there on the other side of whatever happens. I think sometimes the Christian message is, I will be there when you become a Christian. What if we just said, no matter what, I will be there for you? Well, you could say up front, I will pray for you that you become a Christian, that the Spirit convict you to faith. I will be there with you. What if that's what we do as the body of Christ? What, is that, what if that's what we do with each other? I think that's what he's saying when he makes up that weird word of doing this imitating together. He's saying, just be there no matter what. I feel like Christ was there no matter what too. This idea of pressing in on and mentoring and relationships and more effort from looking around isn't a piling on of more legalistic tasks on the journey to righteousness. This is God's battle plan. Jesus once declared, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. 
Think about that. The gates of hell. You don't attack with gates. You defend. We attack. Hell loses. We win. This is the gospel. So it's not like you're going up to to the devil and he's going to beat you down. When you go with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are knocking at his door. You're not knocking at his door. You're taking the battering ram to his gates. That's what the Bible says we're doing. So I, I know I'm, I'm pretty timid. I grew up in the Midwest and I kind of like to just suggest and then go like really pray specifically exactly what I meant to say behind the scenes so that, and that, you know, oh, they're there. Nice, thank you. Just, you know, just go, do it. Just say it. You, know, you have sin. This is a thing. And I love you, so I want to call this out. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying Satan's got his hooks into you. Let's get him out. Let's give him Christ. Let's do this. The gates of hell will not prevail against my church. We attack the gate of individualism with community. We attack the gate of loneliness with hospitality. We attack the gate of hatred with forgiveness. We attack the gate of pride with humility. Again and again and again. Do you see why community is such a potent weapon in the church's arsenal? Because it's the intrinsic nature of God on display in this broken, isolated, lonely, and lost world. So, press on. And as you do, look up. And look around. Look up to the goal. Look around to the great cloud of witnesses. As you press on, look ahead to our glorious transformation. These are the last couple verses here. Verse 20. uh, So it's look ahead. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I love this language here. This is is just comes, I've been holding back so much to not say anything about citizenship. Here's where we get it. And so here you go, here we go, gonna unload. This idea of citizenship, Paul views himself as a Christian, as a dual citizen. So we kind of understand what that means. He's a dual citizen, you know, here, you know, I don't know, United States and Canada, you know, something like that. So there's something, there's rights and, and, and responsibilities that you, you know, have to each one, and you're kind of, you know, both of those, and, and there's something about that, okay? So he gets this, Paul gets this, he's both a Jew and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, uh, and a Roman citizen, so he has this, this on earth dual citizenship, but what he's saying is we have another citizenship here. We have a citizenship that is in heaven, and there are rights and responsibilities that come with that citizenship as well. So as a Christian, you are a dual citizen uh, of both the spiritual and the physical world. And so what does that mean? That's kind of weird language, but it's huge language here. When he says live worthy lives, that's language they would have used back in the day to refer to live as a citizen, a citizen ought to live. And so when we do this, he's saying basically what you do, you're going to take these, 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 these glasses, you know, this, this uh, augmented reality thing, and you're going to put them on and you're going to see the world through a different lens. So what I, kind of like what I said before, you see someone who is, is angry, who is talking, who is, who is self-medicating, who is, who is doing whatever, whatever those things might be, and you see something, and on this world we're going to say, train wreck, total train wreck, get out the way. But you put, on that, uh, you put on that lens of the kingdom because you're a citizen of that kingdom. And what do you see there? Hurt, pain, suffering, loss, the brokenness of this world. You see the devil getting his hooks into that person. 
The devil wants us to be isolated so that we never deal rightly with our sin, so that he can talk to us. Because he knows that when we speak the word to each other, the, the devil has to go. This stands. The battering ram is there. But if I never have someone speak the word to me, all right, I'll just do whatever. We've got to do that for each other. We are citizens doing, on, this, on this battle, on this war, on a different level. We are uh, ambassadors from one kingdom to the other kingdom, from one citizenship to another citizenship. It brings it right here. We are ambassadors. What is the message of our king? You're a sinner in need of a savior. That savior has come, and through faith you are forgiven. That's our message. That is the message. If you've not accepted that message, that's real. That, that's, that's your first step. You need to understand that you are a sinner. That we have a holy God, and, and, and you must be forgiven of your sin. And that, that faith in Christ, I'm a sinner. Forgive me, God. It's as easy as that. Well, it seems as easy. It's simple as that. The hurdle of, of pride is enormous to get there. But, but that's it. We need to think as citizens of another kingdom. Because then, th- th- here's where it is. is that when we look ahead, we don't just look ahead through these weird glasses that I just made up. Um, we look ahead to hope. Because what are we awaiting? It's right there in the text. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. A Roman citizen, like the Philippians were, a Roman citizen would have understood this language because Caesar was referred to as Savior. Caesar was referred to as Lord. And here, Paul is saying, here's the reality. You have an ultimate Caesar. You have an ultimate Savior. You have an ultimate king, an ultimate Lord. I will use the exact titles that people are using of this Caesar, and I will name him. And what is his name? Jesus Christ. So for them, they paid homage to Caesar and did all of those things. Paul didn't, and that's why he's in prison. For us, what is that Caesar? We have to hear that Christ, not Caesar, is our Savior and Lord. Today, that means Christ, not the dogs, not the ones saying, be better be richer, be prettier, be more successful. Those dogs are going to be out there barking. That's verse 2. Christ, not the dogs, are our righteousness. Christ, not the law, is our righteousness. Christ, not ourself and how wonderful we could make ourselves. Christ is our righteousness. He is our Savior and our Lord. If Christ is not the ultimate, then we're veering the way of the scoffers. We're veering the way of the sinners. We're veering the way that leads to destruction. We need Christ. And we don't just need Christ because it's the best thought. It's a real thought. Destruction is at the end of this. So as we leave here, destination set. So it starts at the parking lot. <laughs> you know, you put, it, you, put, you, you put it in. What is the goal? What is the journey? You have been saved. If you have, you've had, if you have honestly and humbly repented of your faith, I am a sinner and I need Christ. Please save me and forgive me. There you go. Destination set. Christ-likeness. And so in the parking lot, your destination has been set. Turn left at Zeller. There we go. And the journey begins, right? It should be already going, but it can begin now. Think of it that way. And maybe if I could just do this, that stop sign right there on Kansas and, and, and Zeller. I'd love it if we just think about this every time because we all... Hopefully, all of us look at it. Start looking at it. It's a stop sign. Um, and so the stop sign, well, this stop sign could say to us, press on. Just stop, press on. And as you do this week, look up, look around, and look ahead. Let's pray as our kids come back.